Ben Shapiro here with a man I have tremendous respect for, my good friend, Attorney Barack Lurie. Barack, you've been practicing law for over 24 years. Do you have some important advice about lawsuits? Well, Ben, the law deals with conflict, right? A good attorney should help ease a lot of your anxieties because he should have perspective and know how to gather his evidence. But his main mission should always be to pursue the path toward quick resolution or settlement. Well, how do you do that? Simply by working to remove the emotion from both sides. Once you gather information and think rationally and compare strengths and weaknesses in a case, you can work on what's fair. The truly great lawyers know how to do that and quickly. You can see, folks, why I so admire Barack Lurie and all the work that he does. For all your business and real estate legal issues, call my friend Barack at 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. Listen to The Barack Lurie Show, Sundays at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. administration has in some way or another made clear to the Israelis that should the Israelis decide to fly over the Middle East to bomb nuclear facilities in Iran, then the Americans would either not assist them uh, in providing the codes necessary to fly over, which would, would mean that they would be subject, subject to attack, or that the Israelis would be shot down directly. There's a report on Drudge Report on this very issue. And, you know, we're still verifying whether or not this has actually happened because there's a little bit of hearsay going on. But unfortunately, I think that there is a, a great degree of credibility to the story in light of the administration's transparent hostility toward Israel and particularly toward Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. So we'll see how this happens. But Ari, you and I have made uh, many predictions in the past, and, and among them, we've said that when this president concludes his presidency in, I guess, no, uh, January of 2017, that very shortly thereafter, you can expect him to make his voice known in, in big terms, uh, loudly, about how Israel's a bad country, how the Arabs are good guys, how we need to really, you know, Israel really needs, needs to look with it itself, and... Uh, needs to give up what it needs to give up, and it, it's, he's going to talk about the right of return, for example, um, and how great that his uh, ideas were and that Israel should have adopted them. Okay, uh, that's what you're going to see. And this now has led, interestingly, to the speech that uh, Bibi Netanyahu gave to Congress, I guess it was last Tuesday now, and very interesting, obviously it was a great speech. And uh, the man knows how to speak. He knows how to convey his ideas. He made clear the necessity of dealing with Iran as the rogue nation and evil nation that it is. Okay? As opposed to what the Obama administration wants to do, which is to treat it like a legitimate nation, a, a nation on a equal footing with America and otherwise. Uh, it's, it's not going to—this is what he's done and what he did so effectively. 
Now, there are all sorts of hiccups associated with it, but nevertheless, he, um, he conveyed his message beautifully. So, you know, in the juxtaposition of the, the, the antagonism that Obama has toward Netanyahu, it's so one-sided, isn't it, Ari? You know, it's, yeah, it's so petty. Here's a man who deals with pettiness. He wants to kind of slight uh, Netanyahu by having him go out the you know, side door as opposed to the main entrance. Um, he makes him wait for I don't know how long before actually meeting with Netanyahu. This is a while ago already now. Um, telling the Israelis what they should do and how they shouldn't have uh, settlements in this or that place. Um, this is the way that they, uh, they talk. But when it comes to the other side, the, um, how they deal with, uh, you know, the Stuxnet, actually I want to talk about Stuxnet virus. Um, the, um, the Stuxnet virus was an interesting thing because when the Israelis were very involved in this, and of course, uh, when that was successful, then Obama, of course, took the lead there and decided to take credit for, for himself. This is the way it is. It's, it's a one-sided antagonism, right? It's kind of like when a, a couple breaks up sometimes, right? And, and there's a lot of feariness to it. You, you know the couple's getting divorced or whatever, separated. And one of the couple is talking about the other couple, uh, the other person in the couple, in a very vehement, very angry way, right? Very snide and hopes that person will die, you know, things like that, right? And the other person, the other spouse, or ex-spouse, as the case may be, says, well, you know, she's a nice person. I really wish her well. She's a wonderful mother. A really just great a wonderful mother. mother. And uh, really, it just, you know, it just didn't work out. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, but we're still but friends. We're still <laughs> friends, and I really wish her the best. I, I really, you know, I hope she gets, uh, you, know, you know, things resolved for herself and all that stuff. And, you know, gosh, I, I guess I could have done things better, but uh, nevertheless... I wish her well. Right? You know exactly what's going on in that relationship, right? <laughs> That's exactly. And, and so one is fury and angry and, and all this stuff. Now, it's interesting. I, I was at a, uh, um, a get-together at, at a friend's house recently, and, and the woman was talking about her ex-husband, I guess. And she was saying all these nice things about him. And after a while, you know, half an hour passed, and, and we talked about other things in the meantime. And I just went to her and I said, you know, I've been now in your house for about an hour. And this is the first time I'd met her. And I said, I can tell many things about you. And she says, really? And she goes, yeah. I said, you're, I said, you're in control of yourself and, and you're the one who called off the, uh, the relationship. Isn't that true? And she said, how did you know that? Yes, it's true. And I said, how do you think I knew? And I, I didn't tell her at all. And then I finally told her what I just told you. You can tell a lot by the one who is calm. And the one who wishes the other person well and such, that's the person who broke it off. <laughs> almost always. I mean, I, I don't know of a single exception, but I'll say almost always just in case. That's the way it works. And Obama and Netanyahu, that's the relationship, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's a marriage that's still going on, so to speak, but they're, they're separating, as it were. He's, he's the petty one. He's the one who's trying to you know, give zingers to him and to try to sting him one way or the other. And uh, Bibi is above all that. He says, oh, I wish Mr. Obama well. He's your president. <laughs> um, the relationship between Israel and uh, America is strong as ever. And we thank for America for her great friendship. Right? 
you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you don't hear this from Obama, and you can just hear Obama listening to that speech, and and he's biting his fingernails like, oh, I'm going to get that guy, <laughs> right? That's the the feeling you get about Obama vis-a-vis Bibi. Anyway, how this is all going to turn out is is a mystery. At the end of the day, will Israel follow through on its ability to attack Iran? Uh, will America step in and interfere and make it impossible for Israel to, to attack? Will it be uh, that um, they have a, a side agreement between themselves whereby uh, if the diplomacy doesn't work and they don't reach an agreement that they like, that meaning that America likes, uh, which is, of course, inevitable, then will the agreement be that Israel can then attack Iran? Is that the... Is that their relationship? Is that the quid pro quo? Is that, is that the timetable that they've agreed to? I don't know. I don't think so. I think under no circumstances would Obama say that it's acceptable for Israel to attack Iran. Not one. Not one circumstance. Why do I say that with such great confidence? Because we have seen Obama deal with evil in the past. Uh, and every single time, he's given it the most tepid response. He's not dealt with real... He's never dealt with evil the way he needs to deal with evil, whether that's, and you can give me other examples, Syria, whether it's Iran, whether it's North Korea, or ISIS. Ukraine. Ukraine, good example. Venezuela. Yeah, that's true, good good example. And Iran during the first uh, Green Revolution. Yeah. Uh, And the the Fast and Furious border issue, the illegal aliens crossing the border. I'm talking about foreign policy issues. uh, Yeah, but they all cross into clear and present dangers for America, down to the Ebola scares, not closing down um, air travel. That's true. Uh, Yeah, I like that, that, the way you phrased it, that, that it's a clear and present danger situation. And how does it deal with clear and present dangers? that's That's a good way of putting it. So... I think he fails utterly, utterly. On every one of them. Every single one of them. And the only one he succeeded was when he shot the pirates who kidnapped Captain Phillips in yeah. Somalia. That's the only time. Three guys he shot. Uh, yes. Uh, I guess he gave the order to, to go ahead. But that's, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's not a, an actual war situation. That's it's my not, point. Yeah. It's, okay. it's a nothing burden. Yeah. Uh, but somebody else will say, what about bin Laden? That's certainly more than a, uh, more than a nothing killing. But the, the response to that is, look, they, they were hunting down this bin Laden guy. The whole country was. It wasn't just Obama who was looking for it. Obama happened to be the president at the time of the killing of bin Laden. And not only that, but we now know that they had opportunities before, and they waited until it was something like 95% certain that this is the guy and that this is the location. And then he said, okay. You know, he did a very strong calculation, the cost-benefit analysis. And there was an election coming up yeah. that where he needed to polish his foreign policy bona fides. For right. It. So right. even Obama would make... The, and, and again, it wasn't a, a, uh, a war. It was one guy. One guy. That's right. Um, and, and nobody... Yeah, that's right. Nobody was protecting bin Laden. Not, not in the, not, it's not as if the Pakistani army... Uh, it was correction. Pakistani army... army was uh, was all there, you know, protecting Bin Laden, right? It was a couple of uh, little guards there in front of his little compound. Okay, that's that's that was easy to take out. Yeah, I, I don't want to minimize the risk that the uh, the Navy SEALs took. I mean, I, on the contrary, they were very brave men, and uh, they didn't know all the things that were out there that were possible to affect them. But I'll tell you who didn't take a very serious risk is it's it's Barack Obama. 
you know, he watched it all from in the comfort of the Oval Office. Um, that's fine, but uh, don't tell me for a moment that he took a big risk, other than uh, the possibility of a risk politically if it failed. And there were two other situations. The recent situation in Yemen, where we abandoned our embassy and had our own Marines giving up their weapons, which is something Marines never do to get out of, out of Dodge How on despicable. that. And, of course, Benghazi. Yeah, yeah. Now, all these things, very good examples. These are horrific examples. And so we know that, that you know, Obama is not a profile in courage. Okay? This is not what they will say about him at the end of the day, that, that he was a brave man. Uh, he didn't want to even uh, leave 1,000 men in Iraq, for example, let alone the 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 men that he actually should have left. But to leave zero men behind... Ah, just despicable, despicable. So, uh, you know, people act consistently. Like we always say, liars always lie, lazy people are always lazy, mean people are always mean, cowards are always cowards. And yes, I, I put that appellation upon Obama. But that's, that's actually being generous with him because you and I think that it's somewhere between being cowardly and intentionally... Um, hurting the country. Yeah, you know where I stand on I know where you are. And I'm not there. I'm not that we've already agreed. I, I do think that it's more than just cowardly. I don't think it's quite all the way that he's intending to hurt the country. Maybe, like I said before, maybe it's because I just don't want to believe that. But I do know that he has an affinity for Islam and that that clouds his judgment. That makes him make awkward, strange decisions because it's a little bit like, I don't know, um, turning your own son in for a crime that he's committed. You know, you, can, can you imagine the conflict that you would feel? Like, you, on the one hand, you want to defend him. No, my boy couldn't have done such a thing. That would be a horrible thing to, that he did, and there's no way. If he says he didn't do it, then by golly, he didn't do it. Never mind all the evidence, right? And I think that's the way that he views Islam. He sees it as his, you know, cherished child, somebody that he needs to protect. It's his job. No matter how much that child hurts the neighbors. That's right. Yeah. And so I somewhere think, between us. Yeah, and I think. I think back to the main point of that laundry list that we just uh, aired there. Um, it indicates that there's no way Obama would let Israel take any action against Iran. Yeah. And in my opinion, and you know we discussed <clears throat> this yesterday, is that I think that action is an act of war by America against Israel. That's how I interpret it. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, you're, you're referring, of course, to the to the implicit threat, not, if not direct threat, that should Israel fly over territory in Iraq to get to Iran, that uh, America might shoot down the Israeli planes. Now, look, I, I got to tell you, I mean, it would be the height of not irony, but dramatic theater and drama if it were that the one time he does exercise military action. And, and, and actually takes forceful action would be against the Israelis. I mean, that would be so telltale. So that's why it's so hard to believe he would actually do that. On the other hand, it, it, it is, there is something to be said about being passively aggressive. By saying, I'm not going to release the codes to you, and then, you know, you'll have to take the risk. We of told our air defense going on auto shoot down. Yeah. Mode. And, and 
You know, uh, Roger L. Simon at Pajamas Media wrote an article that was published late last night, essentially debunking the notion that was put forth in the Kuwaiti newspapers. But I believe it. Roger's been... Uh, Love Roger. He's great if he's listening to this. But he's been, like all of us, wrong before about things. But I think the reason um, this story is actually true is because if you look at the pattern of behavior, we just listed the laundry list of pattern of behavior around the world. But vis-a-vis this particular issue, Israel on Iran, we have the revelation of the Stuxnet, the, at the revelation about the Azerbaijan air base stationing of Israeli jets and munitions there to attack Iran within close proximity. Susan Power, the UN ambassador, um, and her, what's it called, the uh, philosophy to protect, in which she's talked about stationing U.S. troops in Israel to protect the Palestinians from the IDF. We have, of course, Susan Rice's long history of anti-Israeli statements, including what she said this week. <laughs> Biden on the Jerusalem settlements, and then, of course, the things he's talked about at the top, which is yeah. um, uh, it, uh, Barack Obama's direct treatment of Bibi Netanyahu, whether yeah. make him wait in the White House for hours or make him go out the side entrance near the garbage. All of these are either tacit acts of, if you will, undermining military or intelligence yeah. operations, all the way up to complete humiliations. Microaggressions, that's what they are, and uh, microaggressions that, that really are very revealing. And so unclassy, isn't that? Yeah, very right? small. You talked about that in the small man small thinking, man thinking yeah. episode last week. It's very small thinking. And to, for him to think that somehow the world is not noticing, right? It, I mean, going back to the relationship sort of thing, where you see um, a woman being, uh, or, or a man, it doesn't matter, being very testy with uh, his spouse or her, or her spouse, as the case may be, suddenly saying, um, well, you know, just making a, a snide remark all of a sudden in the middle of a dinner, right? And then the other couple are a little bit uncomfortable, you know, and they're making a little a snippy comment between themselves. And you kind of look to your wife and, and you say, this is embarrassing, right? And they think that, that you're not noticing, right? But of course you are noticing it. And that's the same sort of thing here. It's um, Obama must be smarter than this, but he's not smarter, as it turns out, because these little stupidities that he engages in are, happen not just in the Bibi Netanyahu thing, because we've seen these stupidities um, in, in response to other things. For example, when he talked about Trayvon Martin that could be his son, or when he says a phrase like, um, least of all Islam, or the other phrase uh, that he said that, uh, uh, that the Boston police acted stupidly. Right. Cambridge He's, police. The Cambridge I police. On the Harvard campus yes. for uh, Lewis Gates. Lewis Gates, the professor. Yeah. Um, th these are things that he later had to realize that he said something stupid in the process. And so he, he's, a, he's kind of a bumbler, as it turns out. So it's not surprising that his emotions come out when he actually believes in something. You know, the, his, his, uh, his poor response when it came to Honduras was not necessarily something that was near and dear to his heart. So imagine what happens when, how stupid you may do things when it is near and dear to your heart. For example, when you have an inherent resistance to anything Israel, right? And then you, you just, you gotta, you gotta show it somehow. You gotta show the Arab world, or at least maybe even show it to yourself that you're showing contempt to Bibi Netanyahu, that you can't stand being in the same room Maybe he is doing it for the cameras. Maybe he wants the world to see 
that he's not shaking hands, or at least he's only going through the motions because he has to, you understand, because he's the American president, and he has to play this game, maybe a game of deception. Maybe he's uh, playing along. Maybe that's exactly what the, the thing that he wants the Arab world to see. Yeah, and another one of these examples that could be interpreted either way is when he did the great American apology tour, including the speech at Al-Azhar University in, in Cairo. Do you remember he went to all of these Arab capitals, Turkey, Cairo, Saudi Arabia? Yeah. That's where he bowed to the king. Yeah, he in 2009, stop in, I think, right? Right, very early in his presidency. Right. But he didn't even <clears throat> stop in, in Israel right. for a showing of good faith That's right. to say, yes, we're working for peace here. Yeah. You guys are on one side, you guys are on the other. Uh, I'm here to bring you all together. That's right. Yeah, he, he, could, he could have played that, uh, that kumbaya sort of thing yeah. and saying, look, you know, we're all in this together, you're all in the same region. But he purposefully excluded Israel from the trip. I took note of that right away. Yeah, it was in, in the Arab world where all these symbolic things mean so much more because it's a more... I'm using the word loosely. It's a more primitive culture where symbolic things matter more well, than intellectual no, I, I, things. I'll make it simpler for you. It's, it's an honor-slash-shame culture. Yes. And that's where things have tremendous meaning. And, and, and shouldn't, but they do. So the, how low you bow to somebody has tremendous meaning. How many fingers you use to eat your food. That's exactly all right. All those things. Yeah. The, the, the loudness of your, uh, your belching, <laughs> as the case may be. I mean, a lot of things have tremendous meaning in that culture. That to you and I would mean nothing. Um, you know, whether or not you wear a tie, whether or not, you know, these are cultural things that, you know, on the one hand, I respect that there's, yeah, there's a sense of culture and shame and, and honor, that there's, there should be a little bit of that more in America. But they go to the nth degree there, and they don't have any rule of law at all. On the contrary, it's all based upon honor and shame. So it's, it's a scary proposition. And so it does mean something when it doesn't show up to Israel. Okay, so we're talking about BB and we're talking about Obama. And it's not, it, you know, it's, it, it feels almost like, you know, the great Greek, myth, uh, Greek book, the Iliad, for example. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting about the Iliad is this notion that, you know, it, it strikes you very clearly, right? You, see, you know that these armies are fighting, right? The Greeks and the Trojans, boom, boom, boom. But the real battle they focus on are Hector and Achilles and all the big players there. And whoever wins that particular fight, well, that's going to that's gonna be the one who wins the war. So in a sense, they fully personify the war. And likewise, it seems that way with Obama and Bibi Netanyahu. But of course, it's not really a fair comparison, is it? Because Achilles and Hector were actually evenly matched. They were equally honorable. And one had to win and one had to lose. That's fair. But but they, they were compadres of, of a very significant breed. They were very good fighters, each of them. Not so with the Bibi slash Obama comparison. Just not, nothing close. I think, I think uh, Obama knows in his heart that Bibi is so far ahead of him. He's, uh, he's the Mozart to his Salieri. Oh, I, I, I think that's a bad analogy because at least Salieri could play music. He had talent, that's true. Yeah. He did. And, and, you know, you make such a great point because there's, there's lines from films where uh, a character will say to one of the two combatants in one of these matchups, you know why you hate the other guy? Because he reveals to you 
yourself, that you're how insignificant yeah. you are. Yeah. It, it, it's not just that Bibi is an Israeli. It's not just that he's essentially a conservative. It's not just that he's a hawk. It's that he reveals to Obama the one thing no one else reveals to Obama, which is he that Obama completely wasted his life up to this point on insignificant things. That's right. That's on right. partying, <clears throat> on doing drugs, on hanging around flaky people, on pursuing a completely multiculturalist, un-American activities, while Bibi served in the military with honor and distinction, dedicated his life to true public service, right. and, and well, served and honorably in all of these things. And he speaks a foreign language perfectly. I mean, English being Bibi's foreign language. Uh, he speaks it perfectly. He went to MIT with, with great honors. Um, and, of course, served in, in the Israeli government in so many different uh, directions. It's, it's really an amazing thing how many um, things he, he did. Bibi Netanyahu is a very accomplished man. And that's what I, I respect about him. But in, in addition, um, he, he just, he's presentable. He has good ideas. And he has wisdom. You see, that's what I think part of the reason why liberals hate conservatives, generally speaking, is that I think deep in their hearts, they know that conservatives are right. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The liberals know that we can articulate our points and that we don't have to refer to each other to see where we stand on a particular position, for example. It's really an amazing thing. Um, and the conservatives have history, thousands of years behind them, of wisdom that inform our decision-making and our opinions and our positions. That's what I think is a big deal. Um, I, I love that about the, um, the BB side of the camp. And I think that, that Obama hates that about, OB, uh, about, uh, about BB because BB reveals what an inferior person he is. So, and uh, the, the point is that, you know, also, uh, in a sense, the Israeli president or the prime minister, Bibi, he didn't cheat in his life. Didn't cheat. What do I mean by that? I mean, he worked hard to get to every position that he got to. Whereas Obama, he kind of floated to the top. Why? Well, let's, because he's black. Or half black, as the case may be. Oh, and these things were offered to him. Affirmative action into college he's despite our, terrible grades in high school or whatever it is. He's our first affirmative action president in yeah. every respect. And it shows. Right. It shows. Right. Uh, look, and, he, and he, he speaks his words. Well, let's put it this way. He reads his words very well. <laughs> okay? You, you don't even know that he's reading. That's how, that's how good he is. All right? But um, he, um, he's really, he knows that... Bibi is a man of substance, that he's worked his way to the top, and he did not cheat his way to the top. Obama knows this about himself. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about a different topic, and, and uh, a topic that's near and dear to me. If you've heard us on the Sunday show and otherwise, we talk about the problem and the war against boys. It's a very, very important uh, matter, and it needs to be addressed it's not being addressed very much at all in this country. Fortunately, it's being addressed in some other countries, Australia and Britain in particular. We need to protect our boys. We need to encourage our boys to be men, not just to be human beings or citizens. All right, don't go away. We'll be right back.
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you recently handled a case where one brother was suing his two brothers, your clients. What happened? Well, Dennis, the two brothers struggled but succeeded to build three restaurants. But when the third brother returned from being out of the country for 20 years, he sued to get one-third of their business. He claimed an oral deal between them because he had once worked as a cook for them. So what did you do? Well, during trial, we got him to acknowledge certain key dates and to his complete lack of documentation. So when his side rested, we asked the court for what's called a directed verdict, a motion that gets rid of a case after fatal facts come out during trial. And the court agreed, shooting down all but one of the brothers' causes of action. And we settled that one for a very small amount and excused the jury. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. So to make sure a deal is done right, call him for your own legal issues. At 866-575-8111, that's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. It's really a new phenomenon. Ari, when you and I were young men, boys, as it were, um, I remember that we were encouraged to think in terms of achieving great things and um, that we could be soldiers one day or astronauts or Air Force pilots and firemen and uh, police officers. Um, we would play cops and robbers. We would get the bad guys. Um, we, we would do that stuff. Um, now, a lot of that is, has gone by the wayside, partly because of video games and such, and keeps kids inside. But a lot of it is really a cultural thing that has changed. And we'll talk about what started it all. But um, a cultural thing in which boys and their boyhood has, have been diminished. And they are told to, to reject their boyhood, uh, their, their boyishness, their very boyness. Right? It's, it's, they're told that if they do the indication of uh, thumb and finger, well, then that's a bad, bad thing. Assault with a deadly weapon. There you go. It's assault with... And a if crime they, where you can get expelled from school. That's right. And if you draw a picture of a gun, uh, then or anything blowing up, well, then not only will you be expelled from school, you might be lucky if you get sent to the school psychologist to study your deep-seated violent emotions and what's what's wrong with Johnny at, at home that, that he feels the need to do this thing and explosions oh well I don't even want to begin there um, you've got a buddy young uh, terrorist on your hands and, and it's nobody you know it's like your zero year zero thing right what no one stops to think like what happened before was this always true you know and if it's the case that that um, is this the case where you know boys never had to do this thing before or never had uh, any inclinations for playing with guns? So so why is it that when somebody like you and I got to play with guns when we were little, we, we grew up fine and we're not blowing up movie theaters and you know, doing horrible things, but why is it now to do those exact same things that somehow we would be more likely to do that? What, 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 are, what exactly are we trying to suppress? What is the... The ultimate goal here, what, what are we trying to achieve by telling Johnny 
he can't draw a picture of a gun. Right? What's the goal? Tell Do you me. want me to answer? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm I speaking, think you're going to build up to it. I'm speaking rhetorically. What's the goal? Okay? Now, because if you're <clears throat> a parent who likes this idea that, you know, Johnny shouldn't be drawing pictures of guns, then, then you're thinking that probably the reason why is because we want to make sure that Johnny doesn't turn to a violent person when he grows up. Okay? Because by, by letting him focus on problem resolution as opposed to, you know, violence, well, then he's going to be a better adult at the end of the day. That's what you think. But that's not, not what they're actually doing. They want to achieve something else. So you need to ask yourself, what are they achieving? What are they seeking to achieve? It's a different thing altogether. They want to stop Johnny from being a boy altogether. They want to change the entire society. They want to make boys and girls exactly the same. They want men and women to be exactly the same. That this is what better way. Yeah, but with one caveat. There's no one encouraging girls to be more like men. No, absolutely. There's, there's, that's the last thing they would do. They would never, because that would be showca showcasing how positive boyishness is. Now, you can say, look, they're encouraging women to become policemen and firemen and to go into the military and such, but that's a very different animal, isn't it? They're not encouraging in the elementary school to um, uh, a girl to draw a picture of a gun, for example. We're talking about not the exceptions, but the rules. Yeah, they're not asking girls to dream to say something. Imagine if your dreams were to be a fighter pilot or an astronaut. How would you adapt to that world when right. you grew up with Barbies and dolls? There you go. There you go. And look, uh, my boy, I have two, two kids in elementary school right now, my older boy and my little daughter and my little daughter is fine and you know what my son said one day coming back from school he said you know and he was a little forlorn at the time he, he just said it it's one of those moments where you know out of the mouth of babes right and he said our school is a great school for girls it's a great girls school specifically that's what he said and and he meant it and it was uh, it was a sad moment for me I, I, I remember thinking to to myself, like, where, where else can we get more boy training, you know, with, where we can celebrate the boys? Now, my daughter, she's doing great. She, she loves the school and it's, and it's all that. But, it, but it's all about the girls. And I remember going to a, a teacher meeting. Um, you know, all the adults were there. It was nighttime, one of those things with the after school. And they were applauding themselves. These are the two, teach, two uh, one of those, a principal and kind of a vice principal situation. And they're very nice ladies that they mean the very best, okay? Because, and we're not even talking about what their intentions are. But they're both women. They only speak lady language. They, they speak girl, okay? They, they spoke in girl from the very dawn of time. From, that's all they know, right? It's not even like, you know, my, my mother language is French and now I'm speaking English and such. You can actually get into a position where you, you feel just as comfortable in, in French as you do in English and vice versa. But you will never, as a woman, really understand what it's like to be a guy. And likewise, we guys will never know what it's like to be a woman. We just can't think that way. And they can't think like us. It'll never be, ever. We'll never speak that language. We'll, we'll speak it because someone tells us these are the magic words to say, but it doesn't, it won't make any sense to us, right? It's, it's kind of gibberish in a sense to us, but nevertheless, we do it. For example, uh, you know, Valentine's Day rolls around, 
It does, you know, for a lot of guys, Valentine's Day makes no sense, especially uh, flowers and such like that. It's, you know, you, you, you spend 60 to 150 $200 for flowers, you know, and you know those flowers are going to die and wilt and, and all that stuff. So what's the point? It seems so wasteful. And we don't get it. Right? But, the, but we do it anyway, right? It's not as if we understand. I hope so. <laughs> but, but we do it anyway, but, but my point is, we'll never be able to understand why it resonates so much for them, right? We just can't understand it. And likewise, women don't understand when guys, you know, rib each other all the time. Like, hey, Johnny, you piece of crap. <laughs> what are you doing today? Right? I mean, and, and they, they're just mortified when they hear us speaking like that. How can you speak to Johnny like that? Mom, it's cool. <laughs> don't worry about it. This is what we do, you know? He'll hey. think I don't like him if I don't tease exactly. him. Exactly, that's right. He'll know I don't like him <laughs> if I don't tease him. Yeah, you call that playing basketball? Ah, my grandmother can play better than you. Right. But this is the way we talk. The, the women just don't speak that way. They, they, they would not know what to even say to joke around with, with, another, with a guy about this. Right? They, they couldn't do it. And, and if, they, if they received such ribbing from a man, uh, they would be mortified. It would, oh, just, it would devastate them. Be a case to go to war. Right. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it's a negative on them. It's just it's a different language. Thank you very much. And a story. So anyway, these two women are speaking at this conference, and they're they're plotting how good the school is, that they that they bring out the best in the logical side of girls, and we have boys who feel. And now, and as she was saying this. She was doing this body gesture, and she kind of rolled her whole body and, and moved her hands in such a way as if to emphasize the phrase feel, right? And, and, and isn't this great? And she expected all the parents to kind of nod along with, with her. And I just thought, you know, I raised my hand, and I just said, I, I don't want my boy to feel. I don't care if he feels. This is not, this is not what I'm sending you to sending him to, to, to school I'm paying X amount in my tuition I want him to learn you know teach him math teach him how to read teach him about history thank you very much just don't teach him about feelings okay he'll be fine yes he, he needs to be a gentleman yeah I'll, you can teach him that all day long you can teach him please and thank you and you're welcome but leave the feelings to me alright that's not your job okay but they're shocked they were totally shocked about this whole thing and then I and at one point, I was, I was asking, you know, is there some sort of sense of a, a, a demarcation of teaching boys differently than you teach the girls? And they, I, Ari, I got to tell you, they looked at me so, as if they were talking to an alien. And, and one of the principal, either the principal or the vice principal, I forget, she looked at me and she said, are you saying there's a difference? And I said, yes, I think they learn differently. Have you not learned this? I, I mean, I was, I was shocked. And a couple of the guys were like, oh my God, is he going to talk about this now? <laughs> and, and, um, and then this woman came out with this answer. We like to teach every child to their individual nature. And, and everyone got, you know, there was a clap from a couple of people. Not too many, but just a clap. And, they, you know, obviously it resonated to, to that person's liberal side. But I said, well... If, if you're teaching to their individual nature, then my boy doesn't care about feeling. How about that? Okay? My boy likes to talk about guns. 
My boy likes about the military. My boy likes about heroism and George Washington and Ronald Reagan and heroes. How about that? Will you teach that, please? Thank did, you. Did Thank you, you for saying a, that. Did you get a visit from Child Protective Services <laughs> and the LAPD after no, this? No, but, but I, I didn't say that, that angrily, but I'm saying I'm being angry now, but I said it very politely. I said, well... No, I know you're polite, but the, no, wait, wait, those wait. points of views are so un, not tolerated. I know. I said, I love the fact you're teaching to the individual. Have you discovered that my son... He likes to do, uh, you know, to talk about heroism and cool things like that. Okay, so, but, but, but you're telling me, on the one hand, that you're teaching to the individual. On the other hand, you're telling we have boys who feel. No, you, so you're not treating them like individuals, are you? You're treating them like girls. That's what I don't like. And, you know, it was, it was a difficult time, and my wife was a little bit uh, forlorn and, and concerned, and she's very worried about what... How about mortified? <laughs> no, no, she, she wasn't mortified. No, she, she appreciates, she's understood the point. She understands it, but she, is, uh, she was uncomfortable. She was, you know, was balancing between what she knows is the right thing and also kind of getting along, going along to get along. And you know, I respect that. I understand that from a wife's point of view, and she deals more with the other mothers in the, you know, the classroom than I do with the dads or the mothers for that matter. I'm at that school probably a little bit more than most dads are, a little bit more involved. I'm sure they appreciate that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not one of those guys. Yeah. I, I, I kind of pace myself, you know, so that when they see me, they know that I'm, I'm not just this one-trick pony, you know, who says, what about the boys? What about the boys? What about the boys? <laughs> it's not like that. I, I talk about the mother things. Oh, thanks a lot. This is great. We really enjoy being here. You know, uh, my, my girl had this very interesting class. Boy, it was so much fun. The teacher was great. And I, and I say good things about my son, too. But then once in a while, like every fifth time, I'll bring up something about boys. And, I'll, and, and the other day, uh, in, in my, my son's in third grade, they made him read a book called uh, The Hundred Dresses. Okay? And the book, the title, just as you suspect, is about dresses. Okay? Now it's a girl who go find it's a, but it's about a girl and who finds herself in a different culture, right? And how she has to get along, and there there are dresses involved, and she you know finds meaning in the dresses. Okay. <laughs> I I we talked you know first I wasn't the only one. We said what are you doing? Why are you making the boys read this? I mean they're already bored enough at school as it is, and and are you trying to ensure that they're going to be bored? Are you trying to ensure that they try to drop out of school or the act out and rebel yeah, and what, get what, their? What is it? Why would you do this? Would you teach your own boy this? You know, you know they're all very young, so you know they all have great minds about the way boys should be raised. When they actually have boys, you know they'll be very interesting. And and this one teacher, whom I'm talking to, and she's nice. She's nice enough. And. She has this book in front of her about boys, and, I, and, and it's, it's interesting. She's, you know, I'm really learning a lot about boys. I say, yeah, that's great that you're reading a book about I really like that. Why don't you just talk to me and other fathers and tell you what boys like, okay? We've been there. Or why don't you talk to the boys in the class, what they like? They'll tell you. Right, they're right there. What's cool for you guys, okay? And if, if they like robots, for example, robots that they take apart and pull together, I bet there's a book or two out there about robots that you put, you know, put together and destroy and put back together again. All right? I, I bet you. Okay? And what's so wrong about giving kids choices about which books they wish to read? You can have the hundred dresses. And if some of the girls like that, then great. They pick that up. And, you can, and, and some of the girls will like the robot book that I just talked about. Some of the kids will like a book about George Washington. 
What's so wrong about that? And it's as if they, they have to for so so I when I confronted the teacher about this, she said, Oh, there's it's not it's not really about that. The, the real meaning is about getting along in a new culture. And I said, Yeah, but that's like saying the movie Frozen is is about snow. I mean or sledding or whatever it is and, and good guys and bad guys. No, come on, like you can't you can't put a false veneer on this and claim to me that, that this is that this means something that my boy would like. All right, don't don't What's the expression that somebody said? Don't pee on my, my leg and say, tell me it's raining. Okay? It's, it's, it's not. It's not raining. And yet we get this push-off all the time. Anyway, there's a great article that recently came out. Um, and the title is from, uh, sorry, it's called Are Boys the Target of a Feminist Genocide Campaign? Now, you, you forwarded this over to me, Ari, and I, I'm so thankful that you did. And I want to bring out some highlights in this very interesting article. It's talking, again, about <clears throat> the history of the boy problem and how feminism, you know, and the feminism has so many different meanings these days. It's crazy, right? So I guess we have to define the kind of feminism we're talking about. We're, we're talking about anti-masculinism, okay, to, to make it clear. Okay, I'm not talking about the feminism where, you know, you... Breaking through glass breaking ceilings, through glass, equal yeah. pay for equal work. No, you're talking about anti-maleism. Anti-masculinism, yeah. It's um, it's really that that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about the to to give women the opportunity. If she should a woman or girl want to be a fireman, by all means, okay, we're not gonna stop her. She wants to be a lawyer. She wants to be a doctor. She wants to work on the Alaska pipeline. Great, go for it. Okay, and by and large, not many women want to be on working on the Alaska pipeline, but if that's what they want to do, they should not be prohibited from doing such. That's what, to my mind, feminism should be about. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but it should not be about trying to tell boys that they should be like girls. That, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's madness to me. And, it's, and if, if you're a parent, uh, even one child, you should know this. You should see it. You should see your girl or your boy. They are, you know, yes, we're talking about generalities here, but you only learn wisdom from generalities. The reality is that 98% of boys act like boys. And 98% of girls act like girls. This is what they do. And you know what? I, I love that. I love it when my girl acts like a girl and my boy acts like a boy. I just, I, I love the differences. And my girl helps me understand what it's like to be a girl. She, she and I uh, played with her dollhouse the other day. And I loved it. Uh, I, I saw her excitement about it. And as a father... Because I love my father playing, uh, my, my, my daughter playing with something that she loves, I loved it too. And yet it was so feminine. It was so interesting to see her engage in it. And of course, with my boy, you know, I get to see the stuff that he likes doing. But you know what? I, I, don't, I don't play Legos anymore. I don't, you know, play with toy guns anymore. So it's still, it's a little bit of a distant thing for me. But I still remember what it was like. But nevertheless, I, I just like it. It's it brings it out in relief again, and it and it begs the question to me: Why are these differences here? Why are they so innate? Aren't we? Isn't it a joy that there's a difference for one thing? But it asks again: Why are they there? Is is there perhaps a reason why we have these differences? And isn't it wrong, in a sense, to force them to be the same? Why why would you take away a boy's boyishness? Anyway, I. I you, one woman I talked to, 
she was um, she was really uh, kind of interested in knowing why it is that boys play with guns and such, and she was originally reluctant to let her boy draw pictures of guns and such. And I said, you know, lady, imagine what it would be like to take dolls away from your girl. Do you think that would be a good thing or a bad thing? And she said, it would be a very bad thing. And I said, and yet you would take away your toy guns from your boy. It's exactly the same thing. And it never dawned on her at all that that might be the case. And you know, <laughs> what, what bothers me so much about it was that it's so obvious, right? It's, uh, I mean, you talked about, you and I talked about this. We live in a time where we have to explain the obvious over and over again. You know, and we had a podcast a long time ago that the, um, that the conversations we are having and the conversations we should be having. Remember? Yes. And one of them, um, we, we, were, we were bemoaning the fact that we have to explain the most basic things. And the problem is that we're, we're, it's, rather than kind of getting out of the muck, we're just getting more and more into the muck. You know, what's next? Well, will we have to explain why we have to wear clothes, right? I mean, is that, is, that, is that something we'll have to explain at some point? Here's why we don't walk around naked, <laughs> right? Here's why we brush our teeth. Here's why we take showers, right? I mean, do we, is that, are those going to be questions in the future for us? Because this woman, and, and by the way, she's a wonderful woman. She's not even a liberal. She, she got sucked in herself into this whole nonsensical debate. And, and, I, and I finally said to her, do you ever wonder what your boy is thinking when he's playing with his toy guns and blowing up things? And, you know, in his mind, of course. What do you think he's thinking? And, I, and she said, well, he's just blowing things up, you know. I said, yeah, but what do you really think he's thinking? Because I'll, I'll tell you what he's thinking. I know. I'm a boy. And she says, what is it? And I said, he's protecting you. He's protecting you and the whole family. That's, that's what he's thinking. That's why he always wants to fight the good, you know, for the good guys, against the bad guys. And Ari, she just started crying right there on the spot. She was so touched by that. She didn't, uh, she had never thought about that. I said, yeah, does that surprise you? You know that the girls are playing with their dolls because they're nurturing their nurturing instinct, right? They're bringing it out. They're practicing the nurturing thing. They, it's what they, they're told to do biologically. And boys, likewise, are being told to protect. And that's how they act it up. And, and our schools are trying to squash exactly that. Yeah, it's, and it's such a profound point you make because what it essentially illustrates in the natural order of things that we talk about is just so obvious is women and children are supposed to be insulated and protected from evil. It's the men who go out and confront these uncomfortable realities about life so that the women and children don't have to. Right. That's, and that's so why we have these instincts as we grow to confront the dark stuff right. and deal with it the way the dark stuff needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of the reason, by the way, and that's a good point you just raised, Ari. It, it's part of the reason why women kind of laugh at men who, uh, who feel threatened when a woman, let's say, makes more money than he does. Right? I'll tell you why. 
because it's taking away his very purpose. He feels his very role is to protect and to provide, which is a form of protection when you think about it. So you need to understand that as a woman, you need to understand that, yes, it's great that you're making even more money than your husband. That's absolutely great. But understand that that's robbing him of his sense. It's like you would be, you, you would be as a woman, you would be upset, wouldn't you, if you discovered that your young children uh, nurtured or gravitate toward daddy more than mommy, right? It would hurt you. It would, it would dig at you, wouldn't it? And the reason why is because you feel the mommy gets to get the nurturing. So you'd be upset about that. Now do you understand, my, my, my dear woman friend? Do you understand that? And they do. So it's all about the mirroring of everything, right? You just need to compare. And it's, it's, it's just amazing how people just, it doesn't dawn on them to think about the opposite of what this would mean to them if exactly the same thing were played out. But they all think it's fine. Um, you know, this, I, I, one of my very close liberal friends, uh, I explained to her how bad it was that now we have so many boys dropping out of high school. The dropout rate is enormous for boys. And that the attendance in college, the ratio of boys to girls is getting close to 40, 60. And that's also true for graduate schools, by the way, professional schools, law 40 schools. 40 boys, 60 girls. Right. Cl close to 40, uh, sorry, a little bit more than 40, and uh, almost 60 for girls. And it's, it's approaching there quite fast. And this is kind of nationwide, with very few exceptions, the military academies, of course, being the exception. And what did my liberal friends say in response to that? Well, good, good. You know, it's, it's about time society changed a little bit, maybe a little bit of payback. And I said, do you think it's fair to the young boys coming up? I mean, do they know about this payback? Why should they be inundated with this? Why, why should they suffer? And also the mentality that they're that they desire blood of payback. It's not that. Yeah, good it's point. It's not that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they, that's you're right. That that now it's a little skewed the other way. They immediately want revenge. Right. Not justice. Revenge. Yeah. I mean, I understand 50-50. But, but does, by the way, it doesn't have to be exactly 50-50. I mean, a lot of times. Uh, women don't want to necessarily, they, they don't have to get a BA. Nobody, not everyone has to get a BA anyway, right? And there's trade schools and such like that. But sometimes people, they want to get married. And you don't have to get a, a BA. Maybe, maybe they want to be a full-time mommy. It's not such a terrible thing. In fact, it's a very good thing. And uh, so, so what if it's 51% boys and 49% women? Is that the end of the world? But as it turns out, this huge disparity is going on, and it's so bad that it's, there's actually affirmative action going on for boys. It's a, it's a quiet affirmative action. No one's talking about it. So that's the amazing thing about it. And, and, and it's, it's noted in the reverse. You know, my, my niece recently, she, she's gone to a very good school back east, and she was talking about the application process. This is only three years ago now. And... I said, so what are your chances of getting into the school that she's going to? Let me tell you, it's a good school back east. She's there now. And she goes, well, not really good, you know. I'm a white Jewish girl, you know. All, all knocks against me. And I said, girl, that's a, that's a dig against you? Jewish? You're a minority, right? <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, but, but the point is I can understand about the Jewish part. I can understand about the white part. 
because that's already part of the, you know, part and parcel of everything. But the girl thing? Did you hear yourself? You know, I mean, it's, it, that's how basic. So, so if you were a boy, a white Jewish boy, you'd have a better shot is what you're telling me. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, she says. And they all know it. it, it that's the amazing thing. That's how bad it's gotten. And no one is talking about it. No one. You know, it's, uh, I mean, I, I feel like we're living in a time where, well, it, it's, it's, maybe I'm exaggerating when I say, but like slavery, right? It's like, I'm not talking about the 1800s where a lot of people were talking about how bad slavery is, but I'm talking about, let's say, the year 1600, where it was so endemic as a society, they, they would never think otherwise. And then, and that you and I would say, you know what, I think the slavery thing is really a bad thing. And no one's talking about it. No one. But this war against boys, it's very serious. And it's changing the, it's attempting to change human nature itself. Well, let me read a little bit about this, because there's so many great points in this article. And um, the, the question is to force a fit. It, the theme is that they're trying to force boys into a fit of girls. Um, it says here, the simple reality of gender, one that we often tend to ignore, is that what boys don't express verbally, they express physically. Okay, that's, that's what they do. Uh, boys talk less. That's also true. Um, quite often, a boy's words are in his deeds. Not, you know, girls love words. And this article written by a woman says, we dig words. We're all about the words. They can talk about words all day long. And that's nice. I think it's great. But it's a biological communication gap that contemporary feminism, with its disregard for biological gender cues tends to ignore far too often at the peril of both boys and girls. Okay. And here she sums it up beautifully. We are pathologizing... Pathologi we are pathologizing. <laughs> pathologizing. Yes, yes. We are... Yeah. I would normally rewind this now, but... You're okay. but keep it's on all going. about your actions. That's Forget right. The words. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we are pathologizing boyhood, says Ned Hallow. Well, a psychiatrist who has been diagnosed with ADHD himself and has co-written two books about it, driven to distraction and delivered from distraction. Uh, quote, God bless the women's movement. We needed it, but what's happened is, particularly in schools where most of the teachers are women, there's been a, gen a general girlification of elementary school where any kind of disruptive behavior is sinful. What I call the moral diagnosis gets made. You're bad. Now go get a doctor and get on medication so you'll be good. And that's a real perversion of what ought to happen. Most boys are naturally more restless, more restless than most girls. And I would say that's good. This is what he says. I, I agree with him, but that's what he says. But schools want these little goody-goodies who sit still and do what they're told. These robots. And that's just not who boys are. God, I love this. It's I like they, they're trying to fit the boy into the, the square peg into the round hole for the convenience of the teacher, Yep. which is, I think, an argument throughout the school system issue, which is they're teaching for the convenience of the system and the employees, not the kids. That's right. It's all about, uh, it's all about how, to, how to force them into it to make life more pleasant for the, ki for the, the, the teachers. And, and these drugs help them along because before these drugs were around, you understand, there was hard work involved. The teacher had to deal with this restlessness and such like that. And now, well, there's these drugs now. And your boy, uh, that with all that restlessness, perhaps he's got this ADHD thing. In fact, he probably does. 
and take this pill. It'll knock that right out. It's much easier to give the boy that than to come up with a lesson plan that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, because so that true. would take work. Yeah. God forbid we actually think about these things. All right. She, uh, finally, she also warns against overemphasizing physical play with our sons. This is what the, the social engineering folks do, um, that, they, that we should not be playing with our sons. Parents tend to let their sons play roughly because boys will be boys. While it's fine to let boys roughhouse, it's important to let them learn empathy by talking to them about the feelings of the children they're playing with and helping them understand how their actions affect others. Excuse me while I puke. <laughs> exactly. This is, uh, look, this is not the way it works, okay? We understand uh, the, the rules that are laid out for us by the rules that we create, and the rules of the playground are very strong. We, we, we understand it, and we always say, you don't hit girls. We understand that that's, that's clear. We roughhouse with each other, and we enjoy it. Leave us alone, okay? That's the way it is. That doesn't mean we need to be bullies, but nevertheless, leave us the frig alone, okay? Uh, it's all about talking it out. So what message does this send to a little boy whose primary mode of emotional expression is a hug? <laughs> That's what they're concerned about. It only gets worse as they get older. By the time the boys are older enough to enter into a physical relationship, indoctrinated and medicated men are now being handed illogical contracts that legally obligate them to restrain their emotions in pursuit of physical pleasure. Right? So, and this is a good point. Instead of understanding a man's sexuality in terms of emotional communication, his drive has been reduced to a potential threat that must be contained, controlled, or destroyed in the name of women's liberation. And this explains entirely why so many boys are turning to same-sex activity That's when right. they grow older. Yeah. Look, the, and then the map he's looking for isn't hard to find. Uh, and I'm quoting here, because it's always been there. It's just been obscured by politicized lingo and ideology stemming from a movement that seeks to socially engineer out of existence what it just can't seem to understand or accept. Boys are different than girls. And, you know, I think, Ari, I think we both hit it on the head, really. Um, it's, it, part of it is a social engineering thing. Part of it comes from up top. There's, a, there's an overall effort to try to change boys into something else. But I think you and I hit it too. It's laziness. It's uh, try to, I mean, I guess they, they work together. It's a laziness. And, and trying to make boys into girls, well, that's just so much easier. It's almost like Occam's razor. Never attain, never assign uh, maliciousness <clears throat> to something that can be easily explained by laziness. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That's awesome. awesome. Yes, that sir. One. Okay, very good. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that's someone else's quote or mine, but... Oh, well, you know, but, uh, all right, well, that could apply to Obama, too. <laughs> right, absolutely. So, but, but, but that's a very good point. And, and look, um, just imagine, let's, let's put the mirror of this. It would be easier. I have a beautiful daughter. She, I, she's the light of my life. I, I have only one daughter, and I'm so glad, right? But how much easier it would be for me to raise her as if she were my boy, right? I, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make her do uh, hockey. I'm gonna, you know. We have her... all these boy clothes. Yeah, Just yeah. Wear them. We wear... have all these boy toys. Play with them. Yeah, what yeah. do you need a doll for? Yeah, you don't need dolls. Yeah, you your need... little gun could be a doll. Here, uh, put your right. gun to bed. Right. You know? <laughs> I, I wouldn't have to think that much, right? Because I know what to do when it comes to the the toys that boys like to play with, right? But you know, obviously that'd be a bad thing. No, I need to do the hard work. I need to figure out how girls think. 
what resonates for a girl and then be that, that person for her. That's what being a good father is about and what being a good mother is about for boys. Okay? Does that make sense to you? I know it does to you, Ari. Ah, but again, we live in a time where we have to explain the obvious. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.